Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Bossed Up, the podcast episode 10. We are in double digits, y'all. So thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. And before we dive into today's conversation, I want to make a quick announcement. I will be in New York City in just over 10 days for our Bossed Up Bootcamp NYC weekend coming up April 28th and 29th. That's our flagship training program for women who are navigating career transition. If that sounds like you and you want to learn more, head to bossedup.org slash bootcamp for all the details because we have less than 12 registrations available. I hope to see you there. Today's conversation is all about being labeled emotional at work. And this can be a touchy topic for anyone who's ever had such a label levied their way, because oftentimes women are way more likely to be called emotional for displaying the same degree of passion or fervor or or commitment to an idea or an argument being made at work. And even the Harvard Business Review backs this up when Catherine Heath and Jill Flynn produced an article and reviewed thousands of 360-degree feedback reviews of female executives. They found that men were more likely to give women executives feedback like, quote, she was too hyped up or she was too emotional. And what Catherine and Jill in this article called How Women Can Show Passion at Work without seeming, quote, emotional, what they really draw from this evidence is that there's a lost in translation phenomenon happening between women and men at work when it comes to women's emotion, women's fervor being misinterpreted by men. Now, they go on to give a whole bunch of advice for how women can be intentional with their emotions, know their audience, use other tools besides emotion to get their point across. And I get it. I I train quite a few women on how to be assertive communicators. But this almost makes me want to throw my hands up in exasperation because as anybody knows who's ever been misinterpreted as angry or too emotional at work, that's the world putting a whole lot of subjective judgment on women's feelings and women's opinions. Being told that you're too emotional is so deflating because it makes you feel completely invalidated. It feels like someone else is reframing your emotions in their perspective instead of trying to understand yours. It's the worst. It feels like all of your effort and energy and fervor and passion is being misinterpreted instead of showing that you're the hardworking, passionate person that you're trying to come across as, you end up being discounted. So can women adjust? Sure. But aren't we sort of tired of telling women how to solve this problem on their own? That's why in today's episode, I tackle this tough career conundrum with an expert who knows a thing or two about creating cultures of inclusion and tolerance. This is a we problem. This is a collective problem. This is a lost in translation problem. So we can't expect women alone to adjust to our imperfect world. We've all got to make some changes on this front. So let's get started by hearing our listener-submitted career conundrum. Hey, Emily. My name's Kat. I'm based in Los Angeles. My uh, female coworker and I both end up getting called emotional at work with us fair amount of regularity. We work at a tech startup. We're the only two female employees. And often when we are exhibiting the same kind of behavior that our male peers are, we get called emotional and they do not. I'm the community manager here, so I'm trying to figure out a way to shape this culture in this very new company and hopefully try to make it less gender biased. 
That is such a great question, Kat. Thank you so much for calling in and asking because it just so happens that I have an awesome expert who's going to help us break down today's career conundrum, my good friend and colleague, Janelle Coleman, the co-founder and managing partner of Four Letter Consulting, a firm that focuses on culture, leadership, and change. Janelle has over 10 years of leadership coaching and culture design experience and focuses on making work more of a humane human experience so that you don't want to say a four-letter word on your way into the office. Now, four-letter consulting and Bossed Up recently joined forces this past January as we collectively launched Evolve, a new corporate consulting program that helps organizations create cultures of inclusion and equality. So today I'm honored to have Janelle here with me as we break this conundrum down. Thanks so much for being here, Janelle. Thanks for having me. So what's your initial take on Kat's conundrum? So my initial take on Kat's conundrum is that that sucks. And I think every woman has been there in their career at one point or another. But one of the things I love most about Kat's question is that it asks what she can do. And that's a really great place to start from. So one of the things we talk about quite often at Four Letter Consulting is the idea of calling someone in versus calling them out. And the way you do that is by asking the person who is doing the offending behavior or speech to understand your perspective and meet you where you are, asking them to learn more about it, and you're there to help them with that, and then trying to take them on your journey from there. It creates an environment that's a little bit less confrontational, I would say. And these issues about gender in the workplace, and especially this idea of women being emotional, is really challenging sometimes for men to hear because they don't have that experience. And so they can't put themselves in your shoes. So if I could give you any advice, I think I would start by saying, after the initial thing has taken place, after the guy has said to you, wow, that was really emotional, or man, you overreacted, that a few hours later or the next day, you circle back with that person and ask if you can talk about it and just let them know that when you hear things like that, that it lands a certain way with you and that you perceive that as being more about your gender or your place in the organization than it really is about the behavior. And you can comment on or use examples of when you've seen other people behave, behave in similar ways and the way they've responded matches how you responded, but the interpretation of that was different. So by beginning there, you can open the conversation. It's tricky to call someone in in a way that they might see as calling them out, right? It's it's such a perception problem, really. And I think she's totally spot on to be rightfully indignant and frustrated in that this is a common problem that women face, especially women of color, who have to run into that angry black woman trope at work, too, making it even harder for women of color to show any degree of passion without it being misinterpreted for anger flying off the handle. And honestly, one of the tactics I've seen work best in real time on the individual level is owning that term emotional and say, yeah, John, I am emotional because I care a lot about us getting this right. Mm-hmm. And sort of reframing emotional as not necessarily a bad thing and really inviting him to assess why he thinks her reaction is being perceived in this negative way. Yeah, I would tag on to that actually and say, instead of naming it as emotional, name the actual emotion. Are you angry? Are you frustrated? Are you excited? Are you concerned? Because those are all more specific and very valid things to feel in the workplace around a particular issue. And it removes it from being this women are so emotional thing to being more, more directly related to the thing that's at hand at work. Right. I'm really passionate about this issue. I care a lot. Yeah, that's such a great piece of advice because you can pick your adjectives and pick the ones that, of course, have a much more positive connotation than emotional. And likely the ones that ring truer for you. Nobody likes having emotions put on them. And by being able to call it out yourself, you're not only owning your feelings, but you're also owning what they mean to you in this scenario. And that can be really powerful, especially when you want to circle back and have a conversation about why calling somebody emotional at work is potentially a gendered thing to say. 
yeah, how do we bring that to the attention of our male colleagues at work? Like, what is the way to broach that subject in a way that feels non-confrontational, like you're saying? Like, what might you say if I were the dude? I think I would start by asking for permission to have a conversation about what happened yesterday. And then that really allows the person you're interacting with to say, you know, now's not a good time or decide if they're in the right frame of mind to address what they likely know is going to be brought up. So start by asking for permission. And then from there, I would I think I would say something like yesterday when we were having that conversation about the product launch and I was getting really fired up about it, you said I was being emotional. And to me, that means something different than it may mean to you. And then explain your side of it. What was the intention behind the emotion? And then explain a little bit more about the way women are perceived at work. John, you may not understand the challenges that women face in organizations. And this is something I've encountered in my career before. And it's really important to me that I open a conversation about it because I don't think it's a fair assessment. Mm -hmm. And kind of taking it from that point of view. So sharing your perspective, sharing the global ramifications, and then maybe asking a little bit more about, was this your intention? It probably wasn't, right? Like what we can assume good intentions and that goes a really long way, giving this person the benefit of the doubt, but also pointing out this is a really problematic perception problem that women have. And I'm sure you don't want to contribute to that. So can we knock it off? <laughs> Absolutely. So that's great advice for dealing with this on a personal level for Kat. But she also asked this great meta question of, I'm in a position to create the culture we want to have here, which is really your specialty of how do companies who care about gender inclusion, who care about inclusion writ large, how do they create sustainable cultures where everyone feels valued and engaged at work? I love that part of her question. As the community manager, Kat does have an influence over the culture and it's really important, I think, first that she identify how much influence does she really have. If she has a great deal of influence, fantastic. If you, Kat, if you don't have a ton of influence, then figure out who the influential folks are in your organization and begin to build those relationships. Because the best way to build culture is um, from the top. So your leaders have to be on board with the values and behaviors that they want their company to be associated with. So maybe starting a conversation with your peers or with your supervisors about what kind of culture they're intending to create, and then digging a little bit deeper into the behaviors that back up that culture. And you tend to work with the C-suite, right? I mean, the Evolve program is really focusing on how can we help leaders of organizations ensure that that intended culture is, in fact, holding true all the way top to bottom, side to side of the entire organization. What happens when that person isn't always bought in? If Kat finds herself hitting dead ends as she's looking to gain support for this kind of initiative? Leadership buy-in is critical for culture. And if Kat finds herself in a position where her leadership is not supportive of a more equitable workplace, then she has two options, really. The first is to leave. And the second is to determine how much work needs to be done in order to develop the, um, the buy-in. And I would say there are so many business reasons for creating equitable workplaces. So dig into the research and figure out what the business case is for equality and then begin socializing that research to your leadership team. And at the end of the day, I don't think that there is an argument for a homogenous organization anymore. There is so much data to back up that diverse workplaces are more innovative, more creative. They make better, better decisions. So find the information that backs up your argument and then begin socializing that. What does that look like from Kat's perspective? Like The socializing? Yeah. Again, it depends on Kat's position within the organization. But it's really easy to build a group of allies around a good culture. Good cultures are a differentiator in our marketplace right now, especially in the tech world, which Kat is operating in. People are looking for really strong, really innovative cultures. And if she can pull on that thread, she will have an advantage. 
That's such another great point of the benefit to having diverse voices in leadership positions and throughout the organization for your company to retain talent, right? To reduce turnover, to have better sustainable operations. Mm -hmm. So I want to take a step back here, Janelle, and ask, what does it really mean in today's workforce to have a good company culture? I'm going to give you an answer that will frustrate everybody. It depends. It totally depends on your organization and your leadership team. A good culture depends on the makeup of your workforce, depends on the industry that you're in. But generally, a good culture is a place that promotes innovation, promotes engagement, values individual contributions and team contributions. There's a lot of talk right now in the culture world about accountability and and innovation. I want to ask about accountability because it sounds like you might be referencing the reckoning that we are in right now with the hashtag Me Too moment. How is that impacting workplace culture and why is accountability so important? Well, accountability is important because as a culture, we have started to place responsibility for our own position on others. And in the Me Too movement, we're seeing a lot of blame being placed on women. Unfortunately, it's having the opposite effect that professional women have really wanted. It's creating an environment where senior male leaders are afraid to mentor women and spend time with them alone, going out for drinks after work or closing the door during a meeting. And that really can be seen as a detriment to women. But women alone cannot be accountable for the way they're being treated in organizations. And men are beginning to see the ways in which they can make a difference. And the thing that I love about Kat's question is that it's an opportunity for her to teach her male colleagues about the proper way to engage with women in the workplace. For some reason, it's a conversation we've avoided for a really long time. Women are learning how to show up at work, but men are not learning how to interact with women as they become a a bigger piece of our organization. So Kat has this really lovely opportunity to be able to explain to her colleagues how she expects to be treated, the things that are appropriate in organizations right now, how to create a an inclusive community, a collaborative community with people of all kinds of backgrounds. It's not really just about women, right? We're talking about racial minorities. We're talking about sexuality, people of different sexualities. We're talking about gender. And there are opportunities across every one of those categories to make a difference and make our workplaces more inclusive. I think that's such a good point. We did an episode a couple weeks back on how to get a male mentor. And I was speaking with a friend of mine, Jason Waski, who is the executive director of Civic Nation, about why it's so important we don't allow the Me Too movement to separate us further as women from our male colleagues. But on the whole, I would say it's good to see accountability becoming a real thing, as opposed to the perpetuation of serial harassers continuing to be successful for all intents and purposes, right? Absolutely. I personally think Me Too is a good thing for women. I think it's incredibly important that we open up a conversation about the way different groups are being treated in organizations and how to make organizations more equitable and more welcoming for more kinds of people. And we have to be holding people who are misbehaving to a higher standard. And right now, I think we're just at the beginning of that. I think when it comes to creating an inclusive culture, you've said in the past that it really boils down to people, processes, and technology. Can you tell me what that means? Sure. Well, our organizational cultures are really about the unseen forces that influence how we show up at work the behaviors, the mindsets, the way we speak. And our people, process, and technology influence every facet of our organization and therefore influences the culture. So the kinds of people you employ, that's the first and foremost thing in a culture. 
if you can take a look at the way your leadership team behaves, if you can take a look at the way people converse with one another, the things they value in their colleagues, you can kind of start to get a sense of what their culture is going to look like. And then if we look at processes, we can see the ways that our behavior is reinforced in the systems that exist in our organization. So those are systems like promotions, like pay increases, like who gets what assignments, how work is evaluated, how people are held accountable? Yes, how work is divvied up, how the organization responds to complaints, how people get their promotions, how, you know, all of the performance evaluation systems. But then even in your processes of, let's say, communication, if you have a technology process that has to do with the reporting of an issue, how does that process function? Is it supporting certain kinds of communication? Is it supporting certain kinds of behavior in the way the system is set up? So you, it does take a little bit of extra work to examine those things, but it's really important that our systems are reinforcing an equi equitable workplace. And it just brings about a lens through which you can look at culture. So for Kat, this isn't just about the one-to-one -one conversations or how some singular colleague is throwing around the label emotional. It's also about looking at how are people promoted here? How is work rewarded here? How are assignments given out here? And how do we hire? Is it all through referral? Are we hiring a bunch of people that look just like the people who already work here? And and how is that reinforcing certain stereotypes and, and perpetuating certain injustices? Absolutely. One thing Kat told us in her message was that she is one of two female employees in this startup. And the immediate question that comes to my mind is how many people work there? And the second question that comes up is why is that? If there are only four people that work there, then we're in great shape. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but if there are more than that, then Kat can take a look at what kinds of positions women are filling in that organization. She can take a look at the way the recruiting practices have been developed, where they're pulling their talent from, how creative they're being about bringing in a more diverse workforce. You're reminding me of how powerful it is just to ask the right questions, too. Because you don't always need to be the social justice warrior at work at the cost of your own financial well-being or security or job security. But she still wants to perpetuate equality, which is a great thing. And in order to do so, instead of coming about this as we should be doing this, we should be doing that, maybe asking compelling questions like, why are we doing things this way? Why is it not important for us to do things differently? Or how did this system come to be set up this way? And are we aware of what is being perpetuated? And how can our business benefit from a more diverse workforce? How can we expand our recruiting uh, processes to bring in a more diverse workforce? How can we be a more collaborative workplace? What behaviors do we want to see so that everybody here feels included and valued? And the other compelling question that I have heard so many women use effectively at work when they're being called emotional, for instance, or when they're being labeled a certain way is, why do you feel that way? <laughs> and just put it back on them and say, what do you mean by that? And have them take a mindful moment force them into a mindful moment to try to explain themselves. I actually love that question, what do you mean? Because when you say, why do you feel that way? Oh, yeah. It's a very <laughs> feminine yeah. question. I mean, as, <laughs> as silly as that sounds, women tend to be much more comfortable talking about their feelings, especially at work. So if you just take feeling out of it and say, what do you mean? Then you're not putting anything on that person. You're not suggesting to them that you already know the answer or that you're even upset about it, but it gives them a real opportunity to examine their own assumptions. And keep in mind, women shouldn't have to play verbal jujitsu to be treated fairly, but that's sound advice because if we can be strategic in how we ask those questions, we can better advocate for what we want at work. Because at the end of the day, Kat is certainly here to create an equitable culture, but not at the cost of her own career success. Absolutely. One thing that tends to happen to women when they're dealing with issues of um, sexism at work is that all of a sudden their complaint about being called something or told something about their behavior is that it becomes this women versus men thing. And 
really for the sake of Kat's career and her upward mobility, she should think about what's good for her as well and see if it benefits her in this scenario to focus on her own interpersonal relationship with the people who are saying it or if it's a broader organizational issue. We don't really have enough information to know for sure, but I think we've given her a number of suggestions no matter what the case is. Yeah, because doing what's in your own best interest and advocating for a more equitable workplace that's better for the business writ large, those two things can go hand in hand, but they don't always. So know your audience, be clear about your goals, and try to fly above the BS. Right? Uh, Absolutely. I could not have said that better myself. (laughs) So to learn more about the Evolve program, which Four Letter Consulting has teamed up with us at Bossed Up to make possible and how your workplace can become a more inclusive, equitable culture, head over to bossedup.org slash evolve to learn more. And Janelle, where can folks learn more about you and the work you do? They can find us at fourletterconsulting.com. And we have a LinkedIn page and a blog, and it's all connected through a website. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Janelle. Thanks for having me. And now it's time for today's Boss Moves Moment of the Week. My name is Anastasia Davis from Phoenix, Arizona, and I have a boss move for this week. About a month ago, I felt like I've been stirring around at my job, and I just want to do more. So I went and I talked to my supervisor about that. I told him I feel like I can handle more. I want to do more. So what can I do? And he basically told me, well, I don't really know, but I'll look into that for you and I'll get back to you whenever I can. And he actually came to me yesterday and he told me how he's noticed I've really been stepping up over the past couple of months. He noticed that I've been doing a great job. And he's actually talked to a couple of other supervisors. So they're putting me on what they're calling a fast track to becoming a supervisor just like them. Congratulations, Anastasia, for putting yourself on that fast track, boss. Not only did your supervisor take notice and take action, you just fast tracked yourself by being assertive and getting yourself in that office to have that conversation. And I can't wait to hear more about how it pays off. Now it's on you to continue being assertive to make sure your supervisor delivers on those promises. Congratulations. And thank you for sharing your boss moves. You never know who you're inspiring to go in and have a courageous conversation with their supervisor next. If you've got a boss moves moment or a career conundrum you want us to tackle on the podcast next, don't hesitate to give me a ring and leave me a voicemail right now at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. Now you can find more links to articles and related topics that we tackled on today's episode at bossedup.org slash episode 10. And while you're there, go ahead and share this episode with the boss besties in your life right now. That just about does it for us today, boss. Thank you for listening. As always, keep bossing in pursuit of your purpose. And together, we'll continue to lift as we climb.
let's face it, speaking up at work can be really hard to do, especially for women and women of color. When the stakes are high and you've already worked so hard to just be the only woman in the room and you want to get everything right, you want to have all your facts and figures accurate before making your voice heard, it's just so much easier to stay silent instead. Researcher Deb Chahansky calls this loss of voice phenomenon. And it actually emerges in adolescent women at greater rates than men. And it sticks with us for the rest of our lives. Self-silencing behavior can actually become an unconscious habit unless we consciously engage in practicing our assertive communication skills. And we here at Bossed Up have set out to help women like you do just that. Speak Up, my live assertive communication course is back open for enrollment, and we're kicking off a new cohort launching this June. Over the course of eight life-changing weeks, you'll have access to interactive online curriculum and live weekly practice sessions where you, Irene and I, and a cohort of fellow Speak Up bosses who are owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent, and really learning to strategically and assertively communicate when it matters most, we'll actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org speakup. That's bossedup.org speakup. 